0: Hello and welcome to ITIC Insight, the podcast which shares loss prevention advice from ITIC, the world's leading provider of professional indemnity insurance for transport professionals everywhere. Welcome to the first in a series of interviews with insurance brokers. Over 80% of ITIC's annual premium is produced by insurance brokers and as such, the insurance broken community is a vital part of what makes ITIC successful insurance company that it is. ITRC welcomes any inquiries from all insurance brokers worldwide. During this series of interviews, we catch up with brokers to discuss the current state of the market, explore how issues such as COVID-19 have had an impact and have a general chat. We hope you find these interviews interesting. Well, hello there. I am Robert Sniffen and I'm the writer of ITIC. And this is the start of an insurance broker interview series. I'm joined today by James Richardson from Arthur Gallagher's in London. Hello, James. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? I'm not so bad yourself.
1: Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad.
0: As we'll start off, I think the best way to start off will be just a brief introduction about yourself, how long you've worked at Gallagher's, and what your role is at the company.
1: Yeah, of course. So I've been at Gallagher's, I think it's five years now, almost bang on five years previously at Marsh, started at Marsh on the graduate scheme, did sort of four or five years there and then moved over to Gallagher. My role is very much sort of looking after the day to day marine liability and Portsmouth Terminal book of which sort of PI is encompassed within the marine live side of things. My focus is very much worldwide, but there's definitely a bit more sort of attention on the US. So I do a lot, obviously, down in the Gulf, whether that be New Orleans or Houston, and then a fair bit sort of over with Miami and recently doing
0: more with Seattle. How big is your team at Gallagher's?
1: From a Marines perspective, I think we are about 60 people. From a liability standpoint, the liability book sits within the, the whole portfolio. I and mean, I reckon we're probably around 30 people for that. Marine liability and ports and terminals, we are a team of four of which sort of i'm the sort of the only one that only f- focuses on marine lives um we've got a couple of others who sort of do a bit of hull at the same time as well so yeah so four people
0: okay so your primary market is obviously the u.s but what sort of yeah ports and terminals what's the majority of your book should we say a primary market you focus on at a marine team
1: yeah, so I'd say the the main focus is definitely from a U.S. liability standpoint. So we our main producing office out there are the New Orleans team or the Metairie team. We've had a good relationship with them. They've got some very long standing clients, of which a number of them are now members of ITIC. And yeah, we've we've grown that book quite considerably since I joined the team. We had, I think, my my employment was the first time that Gallagher had really focused on the marine liability sphere and seen that as an area for growth. Previously, we'd had a guy called Richard Sturgeon looking after it. He was a bit more sort of a, of a jack of all. He was doing p he was doing lives, he was doing Hull, and he sort of threw himself in a bit of cargo as well. So um, I was brought in to work with him, work on some of his existing accounts, and then really get to know our producers out in New Orleans and Houston and see whether we could develop
0: that relationship further. Okay. How well has it been performing over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, I reckon we've probably quadrupled the size of the book over the last few years so it, 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 it's growing quite considerably a lot of that's come from support from people like the New Orleans team we've made some good hires out there recently the new acquisitions were in Seattle where we, we brought on Graham Gardner and his team and we've just brought on the North Star guys as well so I think that's probably an area of, area of potential growth going forward but it's always been one of those ones where I think Gallagher has been a bit of a sleeping giant when it comes to marine and especially on marine liability. And there's quite a lot of business out there in the network that we just needed to tap into and just get to know the producers a bit better. But then there was also quite a lot in the UK sphere as well, which had probably been sort of, hadn't had not had any real focus from the uh, the London team. So we got involved on in that and we picked up quite a few bits from Liverpool and Manchester and Newcastle offices. So it's gone well. Oh,
0: that's good. I mean, how, I mean, I don't really want to have to mention the C word, but because of covid how has that affected you over the last 12 18 months with this growth and not being able to probably you know easily see people obviously travel is off how have you managed that process in such a a year where you're trying to obviously expand your business
1: yeah it's it's definitely thrown up a few hurdles i think we were we were fortunate that it didn't happen probably 2 years ago 2 or 3 years ago from my perspective because the relationships were that much newer from my from my side of things we've positioned ourselves quite well that we've actually had a, we've had a good year. We've still managed to get growth. I think we've probably grown by about 25% in the last 12 months, which is obviously really positive. I'd say where we've obviously struggled is, I mean, the last plane I was on was back in beginning of March. So uh, I'm, I'm a year without getting out to the US and I'm normally out there sort of four or five times. So that's obviously been a bit of a change. I think there are a few tenders which we thought were coming up, which have been put on the back burner. So those have obviously shifted for targets for the next 24 months. And yeah, I'd say it's probably we've we've been helped from a market perspective that the domestic markets changed quite a bit recently. Quite a few of their carriers have pulled out. They're struggling more and more on certain layers, which has meant that London's naturally been seen as more of the home. But I'd say new, new business to Gallagher probably hasn't been quite as much as it would have been had we been able to get on planes and, and COVID hadn't been around. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Texas opened the other day apparently, didn't it? So indeed. We might be able to get, if we are ever allowed to leave, you can go straight to Texas. Um <laughs> why do you think they are put out of the market? Has it just been because the risk is not what they want? Is it because of you know, the hardening of the market? Is it bad claims? What do you think it is?
1: I think it's probably an amalgamation of everything. I think the like with the London market, the domestic market probably saw quite a bit of expansion over the last sort of 36 months or so, there were some big underwriting teams that moved, moved companies, came into new companies with some pretty aggressive targets, which they had to hit. So that's obviously driven down the rates. And then I think, as you said, the pricing just got to a level where it was unsustainable. And as we know, with liability stuff, everything's becoming more litigious. And those claims, which probably used to settle at $100,000, immediately start north of a million. So there's a bit more focus on just general rating ad- adequacy, people like Alliance disappeared pretty much overnight. And they were a very, very big market, especially for Gallagher's down in Louisiana. So that was quite a big turning point. And I think those four excess of one layers, which traditionally used to be seen as an excess layer, are now very much being seen as a working primary, so to speak. So I think quite a few people have realized that they just were never charging for that. Things like auto are causing problems. And like I said, it's just, we, we've always known that the domestics I mean, not saying it in a bad way, but they're possibly slightly more fickle than, than London. They sort of, they, they dip, dip in and out, whereas London's obviously sees the peaks and troughs and normally stays reasonably constant. It's just at that stage in the market where more people have exited than they've entered. And I'm sure the, the curve will change over the next sort of two years or so. But for now, there definitely seems to be a bit of a desertion from local capacity and London's becoming more of the home.
0: Yeah, I mean, from us on a you know PI perspective, we have seen... um the market in general and it does include a little bit lawyers it does include um, domestically as well but they have pulled out of you know the restructuring their policies and like you said they're lowering their the limits and the capacities they're willing to offer so we get a lot of people coming to us looking for you know you know like you say even just five million us dollars because local markets and some of the pi markets even within Lloyd's, are sort of straying away from certain types of business
1: yeah definitely and i think the other thing as well is that London's traditionally obviously always written on a subscription basis where the, the domestics don't. So the number of times we've looked at programs in the last 12 months where an assured has been buying up to 50 million and it's been in layers. But then you look at those individual layers and each layer has pretty much been written 100% by the same carrier. So there's almost no point having layered it if you've got someone like a CV star writing the full 50 million in. <laughs> yeah. So whereas I think with London, like I said, we can afford to lose a carrier here and there between renewals um, and we can replace the capacity to suddenly lose entire layers, which is what the domestics have been. That's obviously caused them a few problems. And I think the big challenge from speaking to the producers has been just getting domestic markets to put up lead quotes. Even if they're doing it on a subscription basis, it's just getting that first lead terms. As soon as they've got that, they can start building the capacity behind it. But I think there's just a bit more of a sort of fear from certain carriers that they don't want to be putting up the lead terms. They'd rather wait for someone else to do it. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's definitely a bit of a different marketplace and it's causing a few problems here and there. But at the moment, whilst pricing's going up, London at least is sort of still offering capacity. It might be at a different price, but it's still there. So clients can still get the insurance that they need.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, talking about Lloyds, obviously, you know, historically, you guys, you London insurance brokers with your big broker slips heading into Lloyds every 11 o'clock or half 10 on a weekday, sitting at an underwriting desk waiting for your turn very uh kind of i suppose you could say old-fashioned antiquated system how has that changed over the last 12 months obviously because we can't go into london or you can't go into london
1: i think it's safe to say that the uh, the time spent sort of playing games on my phone while i'm queuing has definitely uh <laughs> disappeared for good um no you're, you're right like i said i mean lloyd's lloyd's was such an antiquated sort of setup, up, wasn't it? I mean, as I said, the, the the viewpoint of seeing brokers spending hours queuing to see the underwriter, as I said, it does seem to be in the past. I think one of the things that's because we've all been at home, I think the hard market that we're in has probably accelerated quicker than it would have done had we been able to do that face to face negotiation. One of the things we found is it's far easier for an underwriter to either ignore the broker just by not picking up the phone, or as you said, just coming back and feeling more confident saying no over email or putting up a price and just being comfortable with it. Whereas I said, I think that face-to-face negotiation has always been pretty beneficial, sort of keeping a bit more stability in the pricing. I think there is still very much a place for that face-to-face interaction, whether that's, as I said, with yourselves at ITIC or whether that's in Lloyd's, I think that is the fundamental part of insurance, is that sort of people business and the face-to-face interaction. And I think there has definitely been, been a detriment to clients that we haven't had that, not just from a pricing standpoint, but just, I think, from a relationship standpoint and everything else. I can see sort of somewhere like Lloyd's becoming a place where you still do the complicated face-to-face bits. Some of those small, irritating endorsements, so to speak, they can all be done on the online portals or over emails and that sort of stuff. I think we just need to become a bit more efficient with the way we work. But there is something very unique about a broker being able to get a submission in overnight from a client and running around the market and getting up to sort of full capacity, even on $100 million towers within the space of a morning. And at the moment, it's just taking us that much longer to bring the capacity together. I think everyone's struggling with email overload, both brokers and underwriters. And it's sort of one of those ones where quite easily you can send an email to someone and it can just be lost in the in the mire of all the other emails coming through. So um, there are definitely some positives that have come out of it. Like I said, I do think we're probably working more efficiently and we're realizing actually that the days of standing with unbelievably full slipcases and everything else and queuing for hours for a name change are probably behind us, and that's not a bad thing. But I do think, especially for the complicated renewals and those sort of things, that we do need to get back to the face-to-face marketplace and also have the ability to travel, have clients come over. Like the clients love meeting all their underwriters as well, in the same way that you guys like actually knowing the assured and not just seeing it as a piece of paper.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: So hopefully, hopefully come June or whenever um, Boris sort of allows us the freedom again. We should be uh, getting back to normal.
0: Yeah, because even a Zoom call is not quite the same, is it, as a face to face meeting? You know, you can get quite a bit more done, I suppose, over a Zoom call, and you could just an uh, email exchange. But you do miss that. I think for an insurance broker, you do need that. That interaction, that human interaction, I think that helps a lot, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's very, I mean, the whole thing with insurance, it's, it's the three parties, isn't it? It's obviously that you've got yeah. the client, you've got the broker, and you've got the underwriter. And the stronger that that relationship can be between all parties, the better it is. And as you said, Zoom Zoom, and Blue Jeans, and whatever other ones have been created, I mean, they're, they're a necessary evil and they're quite good, but it's never going to replace the sort of the actual face-to-face interaction and sitting around a table or, or around a table in a restaurant.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, have you, obviously you've adapted your way, but is there anything else in terms of the Gallagher's process that has sped up as well in terms of your adapting your life, as it were, away from being in an office?
1: Yeah, no, no, we have, we've definitely got better. I mean, we, before, I mean, I got my first ever laptop the day we went into lockdown. So, so, so Gallagher's, (laughs) we were coming from quite a long way back when it came to sort of technological advances. But no, it's, it's phenomenal. Like I said, the, our technology has got so much better, our sort of understanding of it all and how we can use it to our advantage has got better. I mean, we do, we've still tried to maintain as much of the sort of so-called, like the virtual face-to-face interaction that we can do with clients and colleagues. I mean, we do, we, do, we have a broker's call every single morning at 9.30 and there's always 15 of us that dial in and we just give an update in terms of what we're doing that day. And if anything, we're more aware of what's going on in our department than we ever have been before. When we were going into the office, yes, we could see people were busy, but I couldn't tell you what Nick Pace, for example, had in his lip case or Andrew James had in his, whereas actually now I could probably tell you exactly what all fifteen hull and liability brokers are doing on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's made cross selling that much easier. It's meant that sort of just general understanding of what's going on in the markets easier. I know more about sort of people moving markets in the whole side than I did before. I know I think underwriters as well are trying to sort of cross sell further. So we've got people obviously from a pi perspective looking to try and do more with the various shipyards and then they're they're liaising with their whole colleagues we're liaising with our whole colleagues when to see whether we can sort of cross sell with some of our shipyards the pi programs as well which may may never have come to london before or the clients may not have purchased so I, i do think there are there's probably a bit more surprisingly there's almost more visibility between us as colleagues and with our clients than we've had before
0: I mean, do you think that will obviously that will you'll try and keep that up when you guys do eventually? We'll do eventually go back into the office. It's going to be is it going to be a little bit more difficult, though, isn't it? Because you might have half the team at home and half the team in the office, and then you might lose that connection in a weird way.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, we're we're trying to sort of we've all started discussing it. Obviously, trying to work out. It looks like the lights at the end of the tunnel that we should be going back to some kind of normality at some point. So we're just trying to work out what that new normal is going to look like. I don't think. I don't think we'll lose those sort of morning brokers calls and whether it's that whoever's in the office goes and sits in the meeting room and you do it in that one with one screen and then you dial in everyone else. But I can't see, I mean, we're we're also moving to the sort of the dreaded hot desking (laughs) in June and then sort of neighbourhoods and everything else. So our office, I mean, if I was to walk in there at the moment, I actually haven't got a desk because they've actually cleared it and they're doing a whole new reshuffle and taking the opportunity to redesign it and make it more sort of collaborative and sort of nimble and everything. So I wouldn't be surprised from that basis, there will only be 60% capacity of desks anyway. So there will always be part of the team working from home and part of them in the in the office. So we do need to make sure that we have, that interaction does continue. So I reckon, as I said, we'll, we'll keep the Zoom calls going on. We'll try and make sure that we, we're targeting who's in at what on what day so that there's better crossover between the teams. But it's definitely changed the way that we'll all work for good. And hopefully, like I said, we can make it work for us all.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Obviously, for many years, a lot of companies were looking at hot desking and downsizing and putting everyone a lot closer together. And now I <laughs> might have to rethink that going forward, because being close together is not a good idea, it turns out.
1: <laughs> no, exactly. I, mean, I went up to the um, the office a couple of times in between sort of, I think it was lockdown one and lockdown two, and I've never had so much space. I think I had sort of like 15 <laughs> desks around me and, uh, and that, that, that was meant to be, the office was classified as full. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, it's, uh, it's amazing. Like I said, we've We've, I think Gallagher's as a whole have looked at the their overall sort of office footprint and they're definitely trying to cut it down in line with what's happened. Um, we used to have an office on King William Street, Lombard Street and Woolbrook and the King William Street disappears as of, I think, the next in the next month or so. So we're, we've already gone from three offices to two and that, that's not because, as I said, it was a bad office or anything else. It was just the fact we just don't necessarily need that space. And we think if we can sort of re-engineer our main office in the Walbrook. actually we can be far more efficient bring more more teams into one building previously being spread around the place
0: yeah yeah it's only natural really isn't it well i won't keep you too much longer well thank you for taking the time but i just i think one last question i think is kind of a crystal ball situation In what do you think is going to happen in probably maybe not in the next year to say the next 18 months to two years in the market in general if the world does get back to uh Some level of normality in the next six to eight months.
1: Yeah, I I think there's going to be it's going to be a lot of teething problems. I mean, just down to just logistics in terms of trying to time it so that the brokers in at the same time as the underwriters that he's trying to speak to. We don't quite know whether it's almost the chicken and the egg at the moment, isn't it? Underwriters are waiting to see how often the brokers go back in, and vice versa. So I don't quite know what the new normal will be. Will it be sort of three days a week, four days, five days? I think at the first opportunity and when sort of quarantines sort of a put to bed. I think there'll be, for us, for sure, we'll be getting on planes pretty quickly to sort of re-establish relationships with clients and producers. And I think there'll be quite a bit of a bit of travel just to sort of make up for lost time. I think there will probably be quite a few big clients that would have done tenders that haven't, that will probably sort of go for them now, try and test the market. We all know for, for clients, it's been a pretty tough 12 to 24 months both from an economical standpoint but obviously their insurances have all probably their most clients are now looking at two years worth of rises it's going to be quite difficult if we start giving them rises again i think from speaking to various underwriters out there they think the hard market is definitely going to be around for at least this year but i'm definitely probably going into the into the um 2022 but come the end of 2022 will we have started softening off rather than having the material rises that we're seeing at the moment, will that have just started becoming inflationary or or flat? From a property standpoint, it seems to be that they've already started softening a bit. We've seen some new capacity that's come in, whether that's from Inigo or ERS or Convex. So start seeing the new capacity coming in, starts to sort of intimate that the hard market might be running its course in the not too distant future. I mean, property underwriters who previously, maybe last last year, were putting 15, 20% rises on it are now more comfortable with the single digit rises. So I think different markets are starting to sort of see the end of the increases. But as I said, it's probably going to be another 12 or 24 months before the market sort of gets back to a flatter position than it's currently in. And it's obviously dependent on NatCat events and lost records and all that sort of stuff and loss ratios. But we, we all know that it, insurance is cyclical. So the hard market will end at some point. And we've just got to see what sort of lessons have been learned over the last sort of 12 to 24 months
0: yeah we're coming in a situation where no one's kind of in, no one kind of uh, anticipated a national pandemic did we so <laughs> yeah. i kind of throws kind of a little bit of a spanner in any kind of predictions going forward but um yeah that's no, quite interesting I don't think any of
1: us had ever heard of a communicable disease exclusion or a COVID exclusion or anything like that before uh, before the turn of uh, last year. So yeah, I think. Uh, Social
0: distancing, even that's a, that was an unknown term, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, <it's> exactly. <laughs> Rather than shaking hands, it's an elbow bump. So. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, I wonder when open. the next time in a world we'll ever shake someone's hand. I wonder when that will
1: be. <laughs> exactly. hopefully, uh, hopefully, not too long.
0: Well, maybe it'll just be a fist bump for the future. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll all think we're really trendy
0: yeah exactly yeah exactly. Uh, well I guess we should probably end it there. yeah, thank you for taking the time to do this I appreciate it And I just yeah I'd like to reiterate and say thank you again, James Richardson for joining us. Bye. Well, thank you thank you very much, Rob. really appreciated the time and, uh, and enjoyed it Thank you for listening to ITIC Insight. We hope you found this edition interesting and informative. To ensure you never miss an episode, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and wherever you get your podcasts.